All right. Uh, well, let me open us in prayer and we'll go to Revelation chapter 2. Lord, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for these guys. Thank you for the opportunity just to, just to hang out and scatter shoot a little bit and talk about things we understand and we don't understand and enjoy each other's uh, fellowship and company. Lord, thank you for uh, Mark and Pablo who are here today, uh, uh, newcomers. And uh, God, as we study your word, let us, uh, let us hear what you want us to hear and see what you want us to to see in Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. As we uh, last week, uh, if you missed it, it can be found online. If you're on the website, I really did just an introduction and an overview of the Book of Revelation. Uh, I talked about really kind of uh, what Revelation the book was about, uh, what it meant, kind of a revealing. Uh, I talked about uh, the Apostle John, really what we what we know from Scripture about the Apostle John. We talked even if you missed it last week. A lot of times uh, we we think of um, Peter is this fiery guy, and John may have been just this guy because uh, Jesus, you know, John is referred to as the one whom Jesus loved. But remember, as we talked about last week, and if you miss this, I want to encourage you to go on, uh, go on uh, cottonwoodcreek.org, uh, and you can listen to last week as I just kind of gave you a character sketch biblically of John that James and John together were called sons of thunder, uh, that uh, that they were. Uh, uh, they were ambitious. If you look at them, it was it was James and John that the mother approached with the other disciples in the room. I mean, you ever had someone? They're in the room. Uh, the mom approached uh, Jesus and said, "Hey, listen, we were talking about this as a family, and uh, I would really like for one of my sons to be seated in the kingdom on your right hand, the other to be seated on my left hand." And it, man, it, it fired the other disciples up. And so when we think about John, a lot of times we have a, we have a tendency to think of him, him as a disciple of love. And he wrote more about love than anything else. But he also, uh, probably more than any other disciple, wrote about truth. About truth, the, the need for uh, truth. And you can also uh, remember a time that we talked about last week uh, when we think about John the Apostle that uh, when Jesus and, and his team were moving to Jerusalem, uh, that he sent people ahead uh, to a Samaritan village say, hey, tell them to prepare a place for us that we can stop and stay there. And uh, when the Samaritan said, well, where is the... And they, they knew Jesus. Remember the woman at the well and several other times. They said, well, is he going to stay with us? Is he going to spend time with us? And whoever was look out there scouting a room said, well, he's really on his way to Jerusalem. And the Samaritan said, well, then just tell him just to move on through. Tell him, we don't want to make room for him and his team, uh, his posse. Um, and you remember what, uh, what, what John said and James said? They said, hey, Lord, I got an idea. Do you want us just to call fire down and destroy the whole town? <laughs> and what did Jesus respond? He says, you don't know. The, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. The Son of Man came to love them, uh, not look for someone to destroy. And I think that's a good reminder for us that a lot of times we can look back if we aren't careful and we think in our lives we can become like James and John. And we can be grateful for the grace that we have. But we kind of want God to wipe the other people out if they don't love him and they don't love, walk the way uh, we, uh, we want them to walk or think they should walk. But John then, um, because of his words, ended up in exile uh, over in an island of Patmos. And, and it was there that he wrote... Uh, the book of Revelation, God revealed to him what we're seeing here today. Uh, as you read the book of Revelation and we journey in, uh, today we're going to look at uh, Jesus' message. Really, this is the beginning of a seven-series uh, 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 lesson. Last week was the introduction, that was the eighth, uh, where Christ is speaking 
to churches. They are actual, literal churches we're going to be looking at. Uh, today we're going to be looking at the church in Ephesus. And Jesus delivers a word to each one of these seven churches. And if you think about these seven churches, uh, they were literal, actual churches that were on the ground in that day. And Jesus, who is the head of the church, is speaking to each church. And there's kind of a pattern that we're going to see over and over again. Um, Jesus commends the church for something. Then he challenges them in some area. And then he gives them, basically, here's what I want you to do. Okay, he will. If there's something they're doing well, he he starts with that. He delivers the. It's it's the first message. Hey, you're doing this well. Keep going. But he says, this isn't so well. How, how many of you would agree that that's probably the sum of all of our lives, right? There there are some things when I look at my life that man, you know, I'm real. I really have it together here. <laughs> But there's always that yeah, but in my life. There's that yeah, but, you know, this area, you know, I could probably do better here. And, 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 it, and it's different for each one of us, right? I, I mean, some of us, man, we're, we're God-honoring. We're blessed at the office. We do a great job. We would never cheat anybody out of a dime. But, man, I roll into the house and I don't treat my wife as, as the precious vessel I should. I haven't done a good job of discipling my kids. What is that? That's a great job, but, right? Uh, some of us, uh, man, we're, we're a good father, good family man, good husband, but man, when it comes to the office or it comes to our job from time, time to time, we'll cook the books a little bit, you know, kind of a yeah, but moment. When it comes to our spiritual life, um, Man, I, I love the Lord. I, I do, man, I, I, worship is a priority to me except for deer season. I'm all about worshiping. I want my kids to know to worship Jesus and Him alone. But then I see your wives in church for about eight straight weeks during they become hunting widows uh, for, because you really reveal what's first place in your life. And so everyone in our, every one of us, has a yeah, but my guess is, as a matter of fact, our chur, our staff, our senior staff is going through this season right now uh, that we do as a church a lot of great things. Uh, as a matter of fact, when, you know, 22 years ago when we came and uh, the church goes all the way back to 1882, uh, we didn't have much going on as a church. You know, that's, that's how as a church uh, you go, you, you, you survive 120 years and you're running 100. It's because you do a couple of things right, but there's really not much going on. And then everything we did, we had a purpose and a focus of reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then as we've grown and we relocated and got here, guess what? We've now got hundreds of ministries that are good, but are they the best? Are they the best things we could be doing? And we sometimes have to reshape and remind ourselves, what is the main thing? And so Jesus, we're going to see as he goes through these seven churches, uh, not only do I think that the words he speaks to the seven churches are for probably all churches, they're probably words for all Christians. They're probably words for each. And my guess is as we go through these seven churches, there's going to be a church that you identify with, that you're going to say, man, that's, that's kind of me right there. And the beauty is that Jesus not only commends us for what we do well, he challenges us where we struggle, 
And then he kind of gives us a command. Here's how I want you to respond. Here's what I want you to do. Now, as we, as we start today on Ephesus, he's, Jesus is talking to the church at Ephesus, which is a busy church. If you want to write that down, if you're taking notes, this would have been the busy church. This would have been the church always doing something. Just look at our creek guide every Sunday, right? Someone's going on mission. Someone's starting something new. We have a new men's Bible study, new women's Bible study, new this, new that. Uh, we're collecting for a hurricane. We're, you know, we've collected another stuff. Uh, Keith was telling us uh, that we've got you know, another 18-wheeler full of stuff. You know, we're, we're just rolling down there. Now we're going to start sending work crews, more work crews down there. We've already had some of our, our people go. Our young adults are going to. We've always got something going on. But we want to make sure that we don't become like the church in Ephesus, which we can which we can't. And if we are like the church at Ephesus or as men, individuals, we are like uh, the individuals in Ephesus. We want to do what Jesus tells us to do. Now, let me ask you a question. And uh, this is going to apply to Ephesus. What is number one in your life? What is number one in your life? Now, I said what is number one in your life. I didn't say what should be number one in your life. How many of you know that probably you know, you've, you've heard enough sermons on this, you've been to enough men's conferences, that we know we should prioritize our life this way. God, you know, family, work, right? Uh, and then other stuff. Okay, that's what it should be. I didn't ask that question. The question I ask, what is Number one in your life is, is. And when we come to the church in Ephesus, that's what we're going to see the question is. Now, let me tell you what should be number one in our life. How did Jesus answer that story? Before we, you, you hang, hang with your spot there in um, uh, Revelation chapter 2. But here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 20. He says, hearing that, Jesus, uh, had, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees thought they would come together and give it a go. Uh, one of them, an expert in the law, uh, tested Jesus with this question. He said, teacher... Which is the greatest commandment in all the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Uh, and he goes, That's the first and greatest commandment. And he says, And the second is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now, that was a shock for the Pharisees who had spent decades after the children of Israel were talking about it in uh, in, in, in our study in the book of Daniel on Sunday morning. Remember, they were in exile for 70 years before they returned home. They were allowed to return home. And, and the Pharisees began to say, how can we maintain purity? And, and what they did is they looked at the Ten Commandments and saw those Ten Commandments said, if we're going to honor God, well, then let's look through the whole book of the law and let's identify all 630-some-odd laws. They, the Pharisees had developed a bunch of laws. And, and the problem was, if you weren't a Pharisee, you didn't know all the laws. And so you were kind of walking around in the dark. They had, you, you, ever, you remember being back in school and, and your teacher asking a question on the test that you know they hadn't gone over? And you're like, there's no way I should know the answer to this question. And so the Pharisees, if you didn't grow up a Pharisee or a son of a Pharisee, you didn't know all the 600 laws. All you knew is that from time to time, a Pharisee would roll up to you and say, Hey, Brian, just FYI, I've seen three violations of the law. Where you've displeased God today, repent. And then they walk off. And Brian just kind of walks off and goes, well, what, what were they? 
You know, hey, if I got to tell them to you, that's your problem. You just need to fix all that. All right. And, and the Pharisees, basically Jesus said, hey, take all your 630 some odd laws, get rid of them. And he goes, let me just put it to you. The love of the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, let me tell you what the Pharisees loved. Pharisees loved being a Pharisee. Pharisees loved the law. Pharisees loved themselves. But they no longer really loved God. See, they had taken the system they had created and they fell in love with their system and their reputation more than they were in love with God. And then Jesus really stuck it to them and say, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, who is my neighbor? And that was ultimately the question. And remember, Jesus told a story. This man was going down a road. He says, and then a priest goes by, and then a religious leader goes by, and then there was all of a sudden a good Samaritan. What did the Pharisees think? That's an oxymoron. The word good and Samaritan, and Samaritans were half-breeds of the day. They were, they were Jews that had intermarried, and they, they, they were not pure. Man, the religious leaders of that day thought, you should never put the word good and Samaritan in the same sentence. And so what we need to understand is that part of what Jesus was saying in Matthew chapter 22 is you guys have created a good system. And this is what I believe about the Pharisees, and I want you to know this. This is what I believe. By the time Jesus came, they were cold, they were hard-hearted. What they had started out with a good purpose to build barriers so people wouldn't dishonor God, it had become their God. Their laws had become their idols. Does that make sense? Don't we kind of create some walls and some idols that we judge other people with? And, and so Jesus just kind of tore it down. And what they started with all the good intentions became the actual barriers that kept them from sharing the good news of Christ with the, when, he, when, he, when He showed up or even accepting Him when He showed up. And so sometimes we do the same things in the church, don't we? We build these walls. We build these laws, this idea that, that, that we're Baptist, right? And, and this doesn't apply because most of us aren't good Baptists anymore. Uh, you know, what do we do as Baptists? We don't. It's not what we do. It's we don't. What do we not do as Baptists? Y'all know the answer to this question. Y'all can fill in the blank. Y'all tell me. We don't drink. We don't dance. We don't what? Smoke. And we don't go out with girls that do, right? That's, that's dude, that is the basis for every country western song in the world, right? except for they were not Baptists. They did all that stuff, right? And so we get these laws, and we build these laws, and we build these barriers, and, and we can have things that become, even with good intentions, they become the idol. They become the barrier. Uh, the name Baptist, or the, what, what we sing, or how we live, or how we act. And man, you, 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 you see someone, and, and so we get these things that we judge people by, right? that are our laws, and they're not God's laws. They're our rules, but they're not God's rules. They're our personal convictions, but they're not God's personal convictions. Now, when we come to Ephesus, we're going to see a, see a church that does a lot of great things. 
that had a bunch of men in it that did a lot of great things. And Jesus commends them for it. But Jesus also just tears them down and says, but is this your priority? Let's read Revelation chapter 2, verse 1 to 7. I want to read it to you. Then I'm going to come back and break it down. Uh, Revelation chapter 2, verse 1 and 7. It says, to the angel, uh, and let me just get you right there. That's, uh, that's the NIV uh, uh, that uh, the angel, your translation, anybody, anybody have a translation that says to the messenger? To the messenger. Uh, it's, it's translated the same word, angel or messenger. Uh, to the angel of the messenger of the church in Ephesus, write. I write these things. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. He says, I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked or evil men. He says, but I have tested you in these things. Who, um, uh, who claim to be apostles but are not. And you have found them to be false. He says, you have persevered and you have endured hardship for my name and have not grown weary in what you do. He says, yet I hold this against you. I have this against you. So those were the commendations. Now we look at the challenge. You have forsaken your first love. You have left your first love. You have, first, uh, you have forsaken the love you had at first. He says, consider then how far you have fallen. And he goes, and what should you do? He says, repent and do what you did at first. He says, if you do not repent, I will come to you and I will remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You listen to this. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. And he says, whoever hears these words of mine, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to the one who is victorious. I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So we see there, we see some commendation. We see a challenge. And then we see clear instruction where Jesus said, here's how I want you to respond. Let me tell you just a little bit about Ephesus. Uh, if you have study note there, you might see some things. Ephesus at that time was a, a burgeoning society. It was on, on the border of a river. It would have been uh, you know, kind of a vacation spot, but it would also have been a place of pilgrimage. It, it was a place that had uh, Ephesus. Uh, was a uh, metropolis, uh, a place where uh, port things came in, a place of incredible trade. Uh, it was also noted for two massive things in Ephesus. One was a massive temple uh, to Diana. Uh, you might, your translation might say Artemis. It was a, uh, a temple where pagan worshipers would travel to worship. Uh, and they would come there to worship all the time. Right in the heart of that pagan worshiping city, a church was planted. Uh, and, and it was a good church. It was a, it was a church that held to the gospel and it had grown. And you can see just from the words that Jesus spoke to it uh, that they had stayed faithful to the word. They had rejected false teaching. They had rejected heresy. They had done some good things. But also, Ephesus was known uh, as a place they had a massive theater. They had a massive open-air theater. It, it wasn't like uh, Jerry's World where they closed the roof. It didn't have a big... But it was a theater at this time. Ephesus had the biggest theater in the world, probably set 50,000 people. 50,000 people would sit in this theater 
and um, they would have they would let wild beasts fight, and they would do dramas and plays. They would have men uh, uh, battling, you know, gladiators fighting and battling. And people loved to go and watch. And so Ephesus was a city of incredible significance, importance. Um, and right in the middle of the city, God had planted a church, and God had planted a a church filled with the believers who were supposed to be salt and light. And they did some good things, and that's exactly what we see. We, they did some th- good things. So let's listen. Look at verse 1. Now, if we are going to repent and love Christ, what are some things we need to do? First thing, and you want to write this down in your notes, we want to listen. We want to listen to what Christ says to us. Listen very clearly what, to what Jesus said to us. Look at it in verse 1. It says, to the angel or to the messenger. Um, Now, of the church in Ephesus, I write. He says, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the golden lampstands. Who's the one that holds the seven stars and walks among the lampstands? It's Jesus. If you go back into, into, into Revelation chapter 1, he identifies that's Jesus. So there's a metaphor going on here is that Jesus is walking through the churches. These seven literal actual churches, Jesus is walking through. He's the one that is speaking to them. He is the head of the church. That's the idea is that Jesus is speaking to Ephesus. So if you and I are going to be what Christ wants us to be, we've got to learn to listen to Jesus. We've got to learn to hear what he says to us. Because he sees who we are, and he knows who we are, and he knows what we do. And notice what he says. Are the lampstands, what are the lampstands? He holds the seven lampstands. Um, they are the seven churches themselves. But when we look at Revelation chapter 2 and 3 over the next couple of weeks, I want you to hear John, who wrote Revelation, doesn't say these are his words to the church. These are Jesus' words to the church. This is Jesus speaking specifically to the church. And in Ephesus, if you want to think about it, you might want to think about this. These are Jesus' words to every busy church or to every busy man. So if you are busy, man, if you've, got your, if you've got your calendar full, this might be your word today that he's speaking. And, and, and I love what um, he says here. And he says, man... To those, to, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars. Who are the seven stars? Probably speaking to the pastors of those churches, the men in the churches, the leaders in those churches. Jesus holds us in his hand. And here's what he says. Look at number two. Here's the commendation. We pick it up in verse two and three. He says, I know your deeds. I know your hard work. I know your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people that you had tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and you have found them to be false. You have persevered and have endured hardship for my name, and you have not grown weary. How many of you would say that's pretty impressive? That's pretty impressive, right? I mean, if you just go down the list of of what he says, um, man, he says, you have had a commitment to serve me. You've had a commitment to serve the church. You've done a lot of good things. He says, I know your deeds. I know your labor. I know your enduring perseverance, your hardship. You are hard at work serving me, Jesus. And that's a great thing. 
And, and not only that, he, he says, you've got a commitment to the truth. He says, you reject evil. Uh, another, um, uh, a little bit later, we're going to re-see it here in a few minutes. Uh, he says, not only that, you, re you reject um, uh, the Nicolaitans. Who are the Nicolaitans? Anybody know? Huh? Yeah, yeah. It, it was a deacon gone wrong, all right? It was a deacon gone wrong. Actually, uh, I'll tell you, there, there, there are two strands that believe. Uh, uh, some believe, if you go look in Acts chapter 6, uh, one, remember when they selected the first deacons? One of the first deacons was named Nicholas, all right? Uh, some believe that at a certain point, Nicholas kind of went off the wagon, all right? And he took Paul's, this, this is what we know. Now, we don't, there are a lot of people, two strands. Some believe uh, that they were following Nicholas, who, who's a deacon that kind of led people astray, uh, which deacons are prone to do, right, Shane? Uh, so be careful when you go to his Bible study. Uh, but some, <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, and some believe, we, we really don't know, we really don't know for sure. That is a good inclination. Some believe it was this deacon who was, who was a member of the church that kind of went off and went astray. But here's what we do know. Whether it was truly Nicholas and followers of Nicholas or whether it was somebody else, here's what we do know about these guys. They had perverted Paul's teaching about grace. They had perverted Paul's teaching about grace. Remember what Paul said? Uh, some of you say, uh, man, because of God's grace, the more sin there is, the more grace there is, therefore, let's sin more. And, and some of them had taken, yeah, I know that's you, Shane. Uh, they, they had said, well, listen, if I sin more, then I see Christ's grace more. Why not sin all the more? Now, I want you to know, even as your pastor, that sounds like a good life, <laughs> right? Uh, they were committed to license. They wanted, man, they talk about freedom and liberality, and they were like, man, let's reject the Pharisees, and let's reject the Judaizers, and let's just go after it. And, and they lived immoral and ungodly lives. Now, at the same time, they would teach the Bible. Man, they, you would go to their churches on Sunday morning. They would read Paul's words and they would read Scripture. But then throughout the week, they lived however they wanted to live. And he says, and we're going to see this here in a few minutes, you rejected those guys. You've maintained a purity in your lifestyle. These are all good things. These are godly things. And if you look at, he says, you've rejected evil. You've um, rejected moral evil or, uh, and theological evil. If, if someone came in and began to teach that Jesus was a son of God, not the son of God, the only begotten, he goes, you rejected that. If someone started teaching a, a faith plus works equals salvation, he goes, you rejected that. So, man, they were theologically and morally pure. They were hardworking. They were serving. Uh, he said, uh, man, you had a commitment to personal evangelism. Man, you, you shared your faith. He goes, you went through, you persevered during hard times. He says, man, well, you lived in Ephesus where, where so many people in Ephesus were committed uh, to worshiping Diana. And you said no. We're worshiping the one true God. You said no when it cost you your job, when it cost you your health, when you struggled. You were faithful. Guys, this was a great church. From the outside looking in, it was a great church. The men in this church were busy 
They were busy doing good things. But if you think, what do I want to do if I want to be what Christ, if I want to hear His message, first of all, I have to listen to what Jesus says. Number two, I must acknowledge when He compliments me. And there are things in each of our lives that we compliment. Now, there are some good things here that Jesus compliments about Ephesus. When we get to some other churches, just like every church and just like every believer, we're all different, right? Some of you might be just like Ephesus. You might be an Ephesian man. There's a lot of good things in your life. Now, when we go through some of these other churches in the next couple of weeks, the commendation he gives them is much smaller. The challenge and the convicting words is much bigger. And so we're going to see, and, and isn't that kind of us? I mean, if we think of our lives probably just in this room, there are some of us, boy, there's, there's a lot more positive in our life than negative, right? There are some of us even in this room that might be believers where there's a lot less positive in our life and a lot more negative, right? We're going to see some of these churches that um, Jesus said, I just want to spew you out of my life, spew you out of my mouth. We're going to hear that, and we're going to see that, and we're going to notice that. And so here, notice uh, verse 4. Uh, here, if we're going to listen to Jesus, we've got to hear his, hear his commendation, but here's his challenge right here. Don't stop loving Jesus most of all. Don't stop loving Jesus most of all. Look at Revelation chapter 2, verse 4. He said, yet I have this against you. After all those good things, yet I have this against you. Um, that word in your translation might be but. And uh, if you uh, uh, have heard me, you've probably heard me share this story that early in my, my preaching ministry uh, was when I first time uh, realized that a deacon uh, would come to you and tell you what you needed to preach. Uh, I was invited to preach in a church in Conroe, Texas. Grew up in spring, and uh, they had an eight o'clock service, and then nine nine thirty Bible study, and eleven o'clock service again. And uh, I, I was a young preacher. I didn't know what I was doing. I was invited in there uh, to preach, and I was preaching on Revelation chapter two, verse one to seven. And I and I said, man, you know, he said this and this and this and this, all these good things, and then that first word of verse four is but. And I said, man, and you got this big butt in the Bible. <laughs> no, and, and, and I wasn't, it wasn't, a, I mean, I planned to shock the crowd by saying, and you got these big butts in the Bible, and this is one of the best butts in the Bible. I preached the rest of my sermon. By the way, the only person that laughed was Gina, my wife. So then I go into the pastor's office because he's out of town. I'm sitting there with Gina. And um, these guys kind of roll into the office, and they're sitting there, hey, man, thanks for being here. Glad you were here today. And they said, uh, hey, um, at the 11 o'clock, we're on the radio, and we'd really appreciate it if you'd leave that butt part out. <laughs> and I'm a young guy, and I was like, okay, I'm in. So I, it, it, I didn't do it in the 11 o'clock service, but, boy, they, they kind of came in and gave me the business. And uh, they hem-hawed around a little bit. They, they did what Jesus did to the Ephesian church. They said, hey, we really like that you use the Bible, and we like that you did this, and we love you use Scripture. But <laughs> they gave me a big butt from the deacons. All right? And, uh, but it says, he says, listen, you've done this, you've done this, you've done this. This is all good, but I have this against you. 
that you've left your first love. You've stopped loving Jesus first. He says, you love all these other things. He says, you walk around, you pat yourself on the back because, man, uh, you've endured persecution and you've run out some wicked teachers and you've done this and you serve. And, man, you have a hurricane and you help and, and you, you teach in the ch kids area and you do this and you'll always be at the church and you'll tithe and you'll do this. But, man, Jesus said, when I look at your heart, remember, this is Jesus who's not just looking at the outward appearance. He's looking at the heart. He says, I have this against you when I look at you. You love a lot of things, but you've stopped loving me. Man, that's a hard thing for us to hear as guys, right? And I, I submit that for most of us as guys, that's us right here. We're incredible doers for Jesus. But a lot of times we lose our love for Jesus. Isn't that kind of how we are? Man, Don't we from time to time know how to be a good husband? We don't know how to love our wife. You know what I'm talking about? I can be a provider. I can do this. I can do that. I can bring home the bacon. I can cook the bacon. But when it comes to stopping and learning to love my wife, don't we struggle with that from time to time? It's the same thing in our spiritual journey. We can do a lot of good things, but if we don't do the main thing, which is love Jesus most of all, Jesus said, you missed it. But here's what I love about Jesus, is he doesn't leave it there. He tells them what to do. Man, guys, and, and, and this is for us. He gives them clear instruction. If this is you, how do I get out? And so here it is, all right? Pick it up. Notice, he says, here are the steps if you're going to get back to loving Jesus or if you're going to start loving Jesus. He says, man, you got to repent and return to your first love. Pick it up in verse 5 and 6. He says, consider or remember. He says, think about, ponder. Uh, he says, look back in your life. He says, consider how far you have fallen. And he goes, and repent and do the things that you did at first. If you do not repent, though, he says, I will come to you and I will remove your lampstand from its place. What are we as Christians, as believers, as men, as churches to be? We're to be salt and light, right? Remember, go all the way back to the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, man, each one of us in our families, in our communities, at the office, wherever we are, we are the light. We are the salt. And Jesus says, and the church, we're to be salt. We're to be like, God has placed us right here on 121. Our number one call is to be salt and light to everybody who drives down 121, everybody who lives within the vicinity of the church, everybody who lives within the vicinity of you and me. You're to be salt and light. And Jesus said, listen, if you don't repent and do the things you did at first, Jesus said, I'm going to come in. And I'm going to remove your lampstand. I'm going, to, I'm going to snuff your light out. We can all probably think back of churches. And you all know that part of our heartbeat as a church is, is to we take in churches that have kind of lost their light, right? And we love to take and put a plant pastor in there, one we've trained up, and, and, and grow that and start letting that light glow again. But Jesus reminds us to the churches 
as great as our church is and as blessed as we are, if we don't get back to the first thing, which is loving Jesus, Jesus remove our lampstand. Kind of also says, I'll remove the pastor. I'll remove the leadership. I'll remove some deacons. I'll remove some of the men in the church. If we don't remember where we've fallen from and repent and do the things that we did at first. And, and that's what he says. He says, but listen, but you have this in your favor. And that's where he says, you've rejected the Nicolaitans. He says, there's a lot of good. There's a lot of good things. But we've missed the best thing. And the best thing is to love Jesus above and beyond all else. In other words, stay morally and theologically pure, but love Jesus first. He says, reject evil men, but love Jesus first. He goes, serve and work, but love Jesus first. He says, man, when you're being persecuted, don't think of my persecution as, man, a, a way that I can have some scars on my body to brag about in my life group. Love Jesus first. And, and he kind of gives you a pattern like that. He, he says, remember. He says, remember, think back. Let's take it in a, in a, in a husband-wife analogy. Um, if, if your marriage is struggling right now, uh, how do you regain that first love? Well, you have to remember what caused you to fall in love to begin with, right? You have to think back, and you have to remember what caused us to fall in love with our mates, with our, with our wives to begin with. Right? We have to go back to those things. What, what usually happens is, um, is you meet someone that you like, you, you're, you're attracted to her, or, uh, you know, she's attracted to you, and, and, and you know they're not perfect, right? But you can ignore all the imperfections because we're fo focusing on the good things, right? And then all of a sudden you walk the aisle and you get married and you throw a ring on the finger and you, and you realize you can't change her. If she was late when you were dating, she's later now that you're married, right? How many of you know what I'm talking about? All right. If uh, she has grumpy months or season, she had those when you were dating. They're worse when you're married. If uh, she talks your ear off when you're dating, now you don't go home. She just keeps talking, right? How many of you know what I'm talking about? We're going to edit this part out uh, when it goes public. All right. But guess what? She did the same thing about you, right? When you were dating, you loved to hunt. Guess what? Now that you're married, you still love to hunt. You like solitude, right? And, so you, and all of a sudden, she's mad. You're going you're gonna to go hunting again? You know, and what happens? Husbands and wives, we, we, we forget those first things. And he says, remember what caused you to first fall in love with Jesus. What was it? Man, I went to church and I heard that God loved me. And I heard that Jesus, God's one and only son, died on the cross for me because of my sins. Loved me in spite of myself. Man, I love that. That I could come in. To church on a Sunday morning, even after potentially a sin-filled weekend and a sin-filled week or a struggling week, God still loved me. And I loved Him all the more.
And he says, remember, and then he says, repent. What does that word repent mean? He means turn, have a change of your mindset. And I love that word repenting. Now, for them, they didn't want to need to repent from evil. We're going to see some churches here in a, in a few minutes that, that they didn't resist evil morally. They, they, in fact, participated. Some of the repentant stages that we're going to see early are people that are in, in, in sinful lifestyles. He says, repent from that. These guys, they didn't need to repent from an immoral lifestyle. They had to repent from an unloving heart. Jesus doesn't say, hey, stop serving and stop resisting theological error and stop uh, resisting immoral behavior. He didn't say that. He said, just stop doing it in a heartless manner. He says, repent, change your mind, and make sure if I'm serving... I'm serving because I love Jesus. Does that make sense? If I'm doing something, I'm doing it because I love Jesus. Now, jump down. Look at what it says uh, in verse 7. This is the reward. All right, so Jesus gave him a condemnation. Uh, first of all, he says, listen, we've got to listen to Jesus. Jesus is the one speaking. Then he gives him a commendation. He says, you're doing this great. Keep doing this. Man, it's awesome. Then he gives them a challenge. You've left your first love. Then he gives them the plan. He says, remember. Remember how you first fell in love. He says, repent. Go do the things the way you did them at first. And then he goes and move forward. And here's the reward. I love this. In each one of these churches, he gives them a reward. Here's the reward. What's the reward in verse 7? He says, whoever hears these words of mine... And what the Spirit says to the churches, to those who are victorious in this, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. He says, guys, if we'll keep loving and keep loving Jesus first and foremost, and out of that love for Jesus, we serve and we resist theological evil. The end game for us is a paradise we cannot even imagine. It's a blessing that we cannot even imagine. So the message, the first message to you, is if you are like an Ephesian man, you are serving, you are working, you are theologically pure, but you don't love first and foremost. You need to repent and remember and do the deeds you did at first. I want to invite you as we close. We've got just a couple of minutes. Uh, turn to your table there and just, just spend a few minutes praying with each other. Some of you may not know each other, uh, but I would love just a quick testimony. Here's what some of you have to go to work. So as you journey around um, the table, just kind of say, hey, what, what spoke to me today? But do it quickly. And then someone just close in prayer. God bless you guys. Good to see you guys. Uh, Mark and Pablo, glad to have you guys today, man. And just spend a little time talking about remembering and loving Jesus and being reminded of that. And then someone pray.